and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. I'm usually preaching over in the Vine, our contemporary service across the way, which was the original sanctuary back in the day. So it's really cool to just see the continuation of worship in that space. And like Paul said in the video, it went from orange carpet. I don't know when the blue carpet got put up, but now we have gray carpet up on the wall. So maybe that's the lasting legacy of this place, is always having carpet on the wall in that space. Uh, but it's good to be with y'all here today. If you haven't had a chance to go look out in the commons at our the different memorabilia that we have over these past 50 years, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, we've had some stuff from the foundations of this church that are um, near the prayer chapel on the other side of the wall, but over there we have stuff from the 80s. And actually there's a picture of Richard Whittier in a jester's outfit, so go and find that picture <laughs> after the service. Uh, we're in the middle of our anniversary sermon series called Seeds of Hope. It's looking at about how God is a God who uses planting imagery and metaphor all throughout the Scripture. And what is the Lord doing in our midst right now as we celebrate the past 50 years of all that God has done in our midst? What is the Lord wanting to do in our midst as we look forward to the seeds that God is planting right now in our midst of what He will do for the next 50 years? Last week we talked about how God is a gardener. That God is the one who comes and sows and makes things grow and makes things grow into beautiful gardens. And today we're looking at what does it mean to harvest? What does it mean to harvest specifically our inheritance? We're going to be spending some time in the book of Zechariah. If you want to open up your scriptures or open up your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 8 is where we're going to be reading from today. But before we dive into the text, we need to look a little bit at the, the situation in which Zechariah is seated in when we look at the story of God's people throughout the scriptures. That the context that the book of Zechariah was written in is he was a prophet to the people of God after they had returned to exile. And in uh, the scriptures, there's this period of time called the Babylonian captivity or the exile where the people of God are shipped off to Babylon for 70 years because of their rampant sin, idolatry, and disobedience to the Lord. You know, in that, in that day, there was this sort of theology in Israel at the time that Zion, the, the mountain in Jerusalem, was the mountain of the Lord, and that no conquering army could conquer Zion, that there is nothing that could make Jerusalem fall. And so there is this idea that the people could do whatever they wanted to do, because there's nothing that would make Zion fall. And then you see the prophets that come, all the prophetic books are calling the people of God to repent and turn back to him, that they can't keep living in sin and idolatry anymore until it reaches the point that there's this just call over and over again, turn back to me, turn back to me, or else you're going to be shipped off to Babylon, which is what ends up happening. And there's this really interesting uh, uh, scripture in Ezekiel 10, where the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. It says this in Ezekiel 10, 18 and 19. And then 
The glory of the Lord moved out from the entrance of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east of the gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of the Lord hovered above them. What this text is saying is they thought that Zion was unassailable, that God's presence would always be with them at Zion, that there's nothing that they could do to drive the Lord from them. And Ezekiel, the prophet, gives them this message that because of their sin and disobedience, that the presence of God, the glory of God, that the, the mountain of God, the temple of God, the holy of holies where the very presence of God dwelt here on earth is leaving the temple and departing from Jerusalem, an indictment on the people of God because of their idolatry. And so the people of God, as we see, as we know our scriptures, they do not repent of their sin, and they're hauled off into exile. Jerusalem is sacked, the holy city destroyed, the temple of God destroyed by Babylon, and the golden artifacts of the temple are hauled off to Babylon and put in the temple of pagan gods. And there, in exile, the people of God lived for 70 years, and that's where we get the books of Daniel and Esther, of the people of God living in exile, and how do we understand the Lord's presence in the midst of our exile? And so they're in Babylon for 70 years, and then the Babylonian Empire falls, and the Persian Empire arises, and the new king Cyrus says, what are all these people doing here? Get them out of here. And he sends them back to Jerusalem, and the people go back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, back to the land of their ancestors. And what they see when they get back home is a Jerusalem still in ruins 70 years later. The walls are destroyed, the temple of God burned in ash, and there's no foundation of the temple anymore that the wondrous temple of their God is a massive wreck. And the people of God look at this temple, look at the state of Jerusalem, look at the state of their holy city, and despair. And it's in that context that we hear the words of the prophet Zechariah. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to start off with the first uh, verse of Zechariah. Zechariah 1.3 says this, and we'll skip to chapter 8. Therefore, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, return to me and I will return to you. Skipping later to 8 verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. And then another message came to me from the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, my love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. And now the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Once again, old men and women will walk in Jerusalem's streets with their canes and will sit together in the city streets. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you, a small remnant of God's people, but is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. You can be sure that I will rescue my people from the east and from the west. I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and just towards them as their God. 
This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Be strong and finish the task. Ever since the laying of the foundation of the temple, the Lord of heaven's armies, have you heard what the prophets have been saying about the completing of the building? Before the work on the temple began, there were no jobs, no money to hire people or animals. No traveler was safe from the enemy, nor was there, and there were enemies on all sides, and I had turned everyone against each other. But now, I will not treat the remnant of my people as I treated them before, says the Lord of heaven's armies. For I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce crops and the heavens will release dew. Once more, I will cause the remnant in Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. Among the other nations, Judah and Israel became symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with the rebuilding of the temple. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we look at the words of the prophet Zechariah and we think about what is the inheritance that the Lord desires to give us, I think what the, the inheritance of us as the people of God, the inheritance of us as Christians is the very presence of God himself, that our inheritance is the presence of God. The Israelites thought that their inheritance was the land that they dwelt in, the promised blessing of Abraham, or they thought that the greatest blessing of theirs, their inheritance, was the safety of Jerusalem, the, the holy mountain of Zion, or the favor of the Lord in which they thought that Jerusalem and the temple was an unassailable fortress. But this passage, I think, and really just the whole tenor of Scripture as you read the pages of the Bible, is we see that the greatest blessing that God gives to the people of Israel and to us is His very presence. It's His very presence. When we think back to the Garden of Eden, it says that the Lord was walking in the cool of the garden right after the fall of humanity. That there's this presence of God that existed in Eden. And the promise all throughout the Old Testament is, I will be my people and you will be my God and I will dwell with you. I will be with you. And we see that even in the incarnation with Jesus that his very presence is among us. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit that God himself lives within our soul. The promise here in 8.2 this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong, and I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. And now I am returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. I am returning to Zion. I am coming back to Jerusalem. I am coming home once again. That the blessing of God, the dwelling of God amongst his people is the great blessing that we have. That is our inheritance, is the very dwelling of God among us. And we see here in verse 13, 813, the call to rebuild the temple. The, the temple is in ruins and um, in the Old Testament, the temple and specifically the Holy of Holies was sort of the tangible presence of God among his people. 
And so what God is basically saying, it's time to rebuild the house. It's time to rebuild my house because I need somewhere to dwell, don't I? I need you to build me my house again because I'm coming back. I'm coming home. Make space for me in your holy city once more. And it says here in verse 11 that God is going to be walking in the midst of his temple midst of his people planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you, and it'll be like grapevines that are heavy with fruit. You ever seen a plant, like a tomato plant, and the, the limbs? Whatever limbs. The plant, whatever it's called. Like when you got a big old heirloom tomato and it's like falling over on itself. That's the image of the blessings that the Lord is going to give to his people once more because God has come to dwell among his people once again. Friends, as we look at ourselves and we look at our own faith, do we see the presence of God as our inheritance, as the main thing that we should be seeking? Are we cultivating and sowing more of the presence of God in our midst? Do we hear these promises here in Zechariah Like in verse 12, that the Lord's going to be planting seeds of prosperity and peace in our midst. That the Lord is walking among his people once again like a gardener in the garden. Do we hear the good news that the Lord is coming back to his temple, let all the people rejoice? Do we hear the hope that Christ is our Emmanuel, God with us? Do we hear that he has made his presence among us? Do we ask for more of the Spirit of God, the very presence of the Lord Almighty Himself dwelling within our souls? Do we yearn for this above all else, or are we like the people of God who enjoy the goodies that God gives us, but not the gift giver? There is nothing better than dwelling with the Lord. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. nothing better than dwelling with the Lord, that the very presence of God is what makes prophets and kings fall to their face in awe and wonder, that it's the presence of the Lord Almighty himself that sets prisoners and captives free from the bondages of sin and the chains of addiction, that God's presence is the one who heals the sick and the brokenhearted. Are we passionately crying out for more of the presence of God? Or are we like the people of Israel who needed to hear that prophetic word? Are we like the people of Israel who look out of the ruins of Jerusalem in despair? We look out at the temple that's broken down and in ruins and fallen to despondency. Friends, if the decline of Christianity in our country and the rapid movement of young people leaving the church in droves, doesn't stir within our hearts a desire for more of God, what will? A desire to yearn for more of the presence of God, a desire for more of God to come and meet us in this place, that the very work of sanctification that we are uh, 
participating with is more of God in our lives and less in our lives and less of us. Lord, come and make me more like you. Lord, come and give me more and more of your very presence. Are we seeking after that? Are we knowing that that is really the great blessing of God in our midst? You know, I think we all know about John Wesley and his Aldersgate uh, experience. We talk about it a lot as Methodists. He had his heart strangely warmed, and oftentimes that's what we point to as the moment in which the Wesleyan revival began. But I would maybe challenge that and say that I think the moment the Wesleyan revival began was seven months after that. Wesley writes this in his journal. He says, Mr. Hall, Kitchen, Ingram, George Whitfield, Hutchins, and my brother Charles were present at a love feast in Fetters Lane with about 60 of our brethren about three in the morning. This is New Year's Eve. They're travailing all night in prayer. About three in the morning, as we were continuing in, in instant prayer, the power of God fell mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. January 31st, 1739. Did you catch that? I'm going to read that part again. God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we recovered a little, the very presence of God made them fall to the ground. We recovered a little bit from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty. The awe and amazement at the presence of the majesty of God in their midst. That there was this yearning They're travailing all night in prayer. They're crying out to the Lord in prayer all night long, yearning for the presence of God to come into their midst. And the Lord pours out his presence on this 60 group of men. That was the spark that set the British Isles on fire. A great awakening that spread across Britain. I was reading something actually a few... uh, a few months ago, that the, the, the Wesleyan revival in the British Isles is actually what prevented the French Revolution from happening in Great Britain. Because uh, John and Charles, they believed not only in inward holiness, but outward holiness as well. And they sought after justice. It was because of the Wesley brothers that the slave trade was ended in England. It's because of the Wesley brothers that child labor was banned in England. It's because of the Wesley brothers and their care for the poor and those who were lacking that led to great societal reforms in the British Isles. And it all started because a mighty presence of God dwelt on these people. Do we have a similar great yearning within us? Do we have the same expectation within us? Are we wanting a fire like that to start deep within our souls as well. That the early Methodists kept up this habit of seeking after the Lord. That was the whole purpose of these class meetings or these what we call more to life groups is how are you seeking after the face of God? How are you seeking after the very presence of God himself? In fact, many decades later, this was just a habit in Wesley's time. And Wesley, pretty much every New Year's Eve, would do this all night, travailing in prayer. And I love this, that he wrote this 32 years later in his journal. 
a large congregation met at Spitafall Fields in the evening in order to renew with one heart and one voice their covenant with God. This was not in vain. The Spirit of glory and of God, as usual, rested upon them. Did you miss that? The Spirit of God, as usual, rested upon them. That the Spirit of glory came, that there was an expectation of the very presence of God in their midst when they gathered together, a yearning for more and more of the Lord himself. Friends, when we come to worship on Sunday mornings, do we come out of a sense of obligation or expectation? Do we come out of a sense of obligation or expectation? In other words, do we gather here because we feel like it's what we're supposed to do as good Christians? Or do we come here because we know that when two or more gather in the name of the Lord, that he himself dwells in their midst, that right now in this very time, as us gathered together to worship our King and our Savior, that he is in our midst right now. And we know that when God shows up, that when God dwells with his people, mighty and powerful things can happen. Do we believe that today or every Sunday can be like it was for Wesley and the early Methodists back in these days or the, the ancestors in our faith or the, the stories that we read about in the pages of Scripture? Do we believe that God can come again and do those mighty and wonderful things in our midst because he's the same God that he was to the people in Zechariah all these years ago, the same God who poured out miracles 2,000 years ago, the same God who's been faithful to his children church for 2,000 years will still be faithful to us? Do we believe that that God is worth seeking after with all of our heart, with full abandon and full surrender? Do we believe that God wants to do something new in our midst to pour out his spirit on mighty and powerful ways? Today, this Sunday morning, that every Sunday is an opportunity for a divine encounter with the very presence of God who, as the scriptures say, is sowing good seeds in our midst, who is working and moving and planting and making things grow. Lord, give us eyes to see where you are moving and help us to set our hearts ablaze to follow after the ways in which you are moving in our midst. Lord, come set a fire down in my soul. There's this word from the prophet Habakkuk, Chapter 3, verse 2, I have heard about you, Lord. I have heard about you, and I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In the time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in those years long ago. Is that our prayer? Is that the yearning of our heart? Is this this sense of expectation that we desire for God to come and have his spirit mightily fall upon us, that we stand in awe and wonder because the majesty of the king has come and dwelt among us? Is that what our heart is seeking after? Because I believe it needs to be. That's what I've been trying to sow within my own soul. Lord, help me desire more of your presence, more of who you are, more of an expectation for you to come and do new things in our midst, 
Lord, if we keep going down the same way that we have been, the church will just decline and shrink more and more. Lord, there are so many souls in Kingwood that need to be saved. Lord, there's so much brokenness and division in the world. Lord, can you come and make your presence here on earth like it is in heaven? Lord, can you come and do new things for our children and our grandchildren? Lord, come and move mightily in our midst. What is the fruit of seeking the face of God? What is the fruit of the presence of God? It says it right here in Zechariah, just a few verses later. Zechariah 8.20. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let us worship the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord of heaven's armies and ask for his blessing and catch this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In those days, 10 men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you. For we have heard that God is with you. They will clutch, ten people will clutch the sleeve of one Jew. Why? Not because of their land or their wealth or their money or their inheritance or whatever external blessings we think that we uh, deserve from God, but it's because the presence of the Lord Almighty is with them. And others want to be a part of that. Do we seek the presence of God like that? Are we yearning for his presence to give him more space in our lives to experience that beautiful and sweet life transformation? You know, the Lord gave me this prayer to pray over this church uh, for a while. He said, pray that you and my people love me more each and every single day. Pray that my love would break out over these people. Do we look to the king and we tremble in fear or do we look to the king with awe and wonder and amazement knowing that he loves us and there's nothing we can do that will ever stop him from loving us? Do we tremble or do we quake with anticipation? The presence of God and the mission of God are intrinsically related. If we want to build the kingdom of God here in our midst in Kingwood, like we have for the past 50 years at this church, what we don't need is better strategies, better evangelism skills. We don't need better preaching or better music or better advertising. Friends, we need to have a heart that is abandoned to pursue after the very presence of God in our midst, to travail to cry out before the Almighty, to cry out before the Lord, Lord, won't you come and dwell with us again? Lord, I have heard of what you did to my ancestors. I've heard what you did all those years ago. Won't you come and do it again in our midst? Lord, we are desperate to seek your face. Are we a people who are willing to take our time and sacrifice it to the Lord Almighty to seek his face, to travail before the Lord, to pursue after him radically because there's nothing sweeter than dwelling with the Lord Almighty himself.
the Great Commission, a very familiar text to many of you. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. You know, it's interesting. We always cut this text off short. We always cut it off too early. We always stop at verse 19. We don't go on to verse 20. Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And when God sends us out into the fields, he goes with us to harvest, to go and make disciples, to go and be evangelists. But we hear the promise of Jesus in the middle of that command that he will always be with us, that the very presence of the Lord Almighty is the great blessing of the King of Kings. I want to close with this story. I mentioned this in our prayer service uh, last month. It's a story of the Hebrity Revival. Uh, some of you may know of it. Some of you may not. It was a small uh, moment of awakening in the small British or small Scottish Isles of the Hebrides. It was after World War II. Uh, the community was devastated as a result of the Great War, and this revival took place from 1949 to 1952 was just this sort of two-year span. And what led to this great awakening, this great revival in the Hebrides, it started with two elderly sisters, Peggy Smith, who was 84 years old, and her sister Christine Smith, who was 82 years old. They couldn't go to church service because of their arthritis, but they said, you know what we can do, preacher? We can pray for this church. We can pray for this community. And so every day for months, they spent in prayer in their homes for God to send revival to their island. And these two relentless intercessors prayed by name for the people in their city, for the people in their cottages and on their village streets. And they prayed the promises of God, Lord, you said you would do this. Come and do it in our midst. At the same time that these sisters were praying, there were seven young men who were meeting three times a week across town in a barn for revival to come into their land. And they made a covenant with God that they would not stop praying until the Lord sent revival their way. And so for months, they travailed and sought the face of the Lord and said, Lord, you need to send your presence here. Lord, there's no strategy that can fix this. It's only you and your mighty presence and power that can come and bring a spark to this community. Only you can bring your holy fire to this community. And after months and months of praying, there was one night in particular, they were praying Psalm 24, three through five, which says this, all ascend who all ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessing from the God of his salvation. And they said that instantly it seemed like the barn was filled with the glory of God. And the young men who were praying the Psalms fell prostrate on the floor. Does it sound a bit like the journals of John Wesley? Does it sound a little bit like the stories we read about? And there was an awesome awareness of God that the very presence of God fell mightily on these people and they were drenched with the supernatural power of God himself that they had never known before. And at the very time that these men were experiencing the first fruits of awakening, the Lord gave a vision to the Smith sisters 
Peggy Smith saw the churches in the Hebrides crowded with people and hundreds being swept into the kingdom of God, and they sent word to their pastor that they had broken through and that heaven was about to descend on earth, that the presence of the Almighty One was about to come and drench the Hebrides with his very presence. And so it did. And the whole region became saturated with the presence of God. Wherever people came, whether it was at home or at work, that there were stories that people were converted to the Lord on their way to church, that there would be times that people would just be driving down the road and suddenly the presence of God would fall on this community and they would just pull over to the side of the road to just get out of their cars and worship the Lord because the presence of his splendor, the presence and awe and wonder of his majesty was so great that people would gather in homes and pray and eat dinner and the glory of the Lord would show up in mighty ways that this great stream of blessing from heaven was brought to the Hebrides. Duncan Campbell was the main pastor of this revival. And during one night in particular, early in the revival, uh, a church leader came up to him and said, Mr. Campbell, God is hovering over us. During the Hebride revival, 90% of the Hebrides came to salvation. A mighty movement of God because the presence of God was in that place because you had men and women who said, Lord, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Lord, we desire your presence above all else. Lord, as we look out into the ruins of Jerusalem, as we look out into the ruins of the temple, that what we need is more of you. So Lord, tell us. Tell us how to rebuild the temple. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.